Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SoCal Summer Podcast. This is me, your host, Andre, and today I am joined by the wonderful, the enthusiastic, the energetic, the ever so extroverted Nick Crankshaw. Am I, did I say it right? Last name? Not even close. Oh my okay. gosh, I was practicing too. I was practicing. Okay, correct. It's all right. Crookshank, like the uh, cat from Harry Potter. Yep, there you go. Crookshank. Crookshank, Crookshank. Yeah. All right. I, Thank you, Andre. Thank mind. you for having me. Wonderful to be here. Of course. And it's five o'clock where you're at now, right? It is. It is. Well, I appreciate you being on right at the end of the day because um, you are in Philadelphia. Yes, sir. Yep. I think that is a perfect segue for us to know who Nick Crookshank is. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Nick Crookshank. I am a dancer and uh, scene leader here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I moved in here for college. I started dancing in September 2015, uh, and the rest is history. It's history. And you you said 2015? Yeah, yep, yep. That was when I was a freshman in college and, and found the college swing club then. Who was your, your instructor? So I joined the West Philly Swingers, which are at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, my first instructors were Greg Avakian and Lori Zimmerman to just legends of the, you know, Philly Lindy scene, uh, who had been around for a long, long time um, and uh, had been leading that club, teaching that club for 20 years at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really cool. And we had, so full disclosure, we did this podcast already, but we were short on time and I wanted to redo it because there was such good stuff. And you had mentioned that you had gone to other clubs, right? Yeah. But uh, how did, talk me through that process. So, so I went to college and I tried out for the soccer team, but there were 104 people trying out for this club soccer team and there were five spots. Didn't get it. Tried mm -hmm. out for a couple of different bands. I played the saxophone. I loved jazz music. Tried out for a couple of different jazz bands. Didn't get into them. Tried uh, to get into a couple of different things. And just because that's a school that is kind of obsessed with being hyper competitive, I, mm -hmm. I didn't get into them. And so one night I went to this uh, performing arts show, which had every single performing arts group at Penn back to back to back to back to back to actually see the tap dancing team. Um, but I wasn't as impressed with them. And then all of a sudden out came the swing club doing a uh, showcase number to the theme from Monsters Inc. Um, wow. I thought it was the most wonderful, fun thing ever. They were the only ones that looked like they were just legitimately having a blast on stage and not putting on show face. So yeah, I ended up trying out for West Philly Swingers and I did have to go through that process, but I ended up making the club and, and never looked back. Snap. So what's, this is so new to me, like the thought of you needed to audition into the club. All students yeah. have to do that, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's because the university demands of these clubs, they, they treat them, they come from this background of like a Eurocentric performance background where all of these clubs need to put on a show every year in order to be funded. Um, so West Philly Swingers actually does one every semester with usually around eight to 12 originally choreographed Lindy Hop and West Coast Swing numbers. And it's a group of about 30 to 50 uh, students that, that do it. So yeah, it's a really committed group. Did have to go through the two rounds of tryouts to get in, but uh, because I accidentally misread the uh, invitation and showed up in a Yes, bow tie, dress, clothes, and Nikes. 
um, while everyone else showed up <laughs> in sweatpants. Uh, I think they could see the enthusiasm there and, and uh, were willing to take me, even though I could not triple step to save my life. Snap, dude, how did you, how does one prep for that kind of thing? How do you like train for that? Uh, well, I saw the uh, <laughs> I saw the West Philly Swingers performance to the Monsters Inc. theme song, and I went home and I looked up swing dance. And of course, when you YouTube swing dance on YouTube, you get ballroom East Coast swing instructors yeah. telling yeah. that rock step. So I did that a couple of times. Uh, showed up and was absolutely pissed when the six count footwork. Not only was it not the same, but when the music you know I had done jazz before, when I heard that was in four. I was all over the place. So I think <laughs> charisma alone, I do not think my dancing had any effect on my auditions. Well, snap. Okay. Well, they found your enthusiasm and that's how you got involved with Jazz Attack. Yeah. That's how I got involved with West Philly Swingers. Uh, Jazz Attack is the local social dance. So West Philly Swingers uh, yeah. is the college club. Yep. And uh, started with them. And then that first week they sent out a little, you know, letter to all the, um, all of the uh, members of the club saying, hey, here's all the things that are going on. And one of them was Jazz Attack, which is Philadelphia's Thursday night social dance. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I went to it um, and I had this little routine where you know I would go and take a psychology study at Penn and they'd pay you 10 bucks for 30 to 60 minutes. And then I'd take that 10 bucks and I'd go to the dumpling stand outside of the dorms and I'd spend three dollars on dumplings. And I take the $7 that were left to go pay for the $7 lessons and dance at Jazz Attack on Thursday nights. And man, I fell hard and fast for Lindy Hop. And you said you did that for several years, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I Well, I, I only had to do the uh, the dumpling routine for, for one semester because, you know, I started in September, but I recognized that I enjoyed it so much. It really pulled me, uh, you know in a hyper competitive university like that, I found myself in a dark place pretty quickly. And I recognized mm -hmm. that Lindy Hop was a really powerful tool to not give me an escape from that, but help me process that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I knew immediately that I wanted to get more involved and help share that feeling that I had with more people as well. Uh, and so four months after I started dancing, I asked to join the Jazz Attack team as their volunteer coordinator just mm -hmm. getting people to sign up for door shifts, nothing crazy. Um, but that would get me in for free every week. And from there on out, I, you know, I was there every single time. Dude, that's, that's quite the, that's quite the story of how you landed into jazz attack. And speaking yeah. of the competition and stuff, we'll, we'll talk about that later on. Yeah. But if I were to understand your story correctly, you tried a bunch of clubs, but then you found, you saw you demonstrate, you saw people swing dancing in a show, yeah. which yeah. is funny how a lot of people get into swing dancing because they see people do it, yeah. right? Yeah. And then from there, you started taking steps to learn and then get enmeshed in the college club and eventually with Jazz Attack, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And the college club is a really unique college club because it's so performance-centric, but still puts the value emphasis on social dancing. So mm -hmm. they have do the performance to be accredited by the university but they recognize the roots and the history of the dance mm -hmm. um and that took some time to develop while we were there like i'm not gonna lie you can look up nick crookshank lindy hop online and find me choreographing a lindy hop tune to andy Grammer in my first year of dancing there oh. were dark we made mistakes it's <laughs> we grew through those through those experiences um 
but uh but yeah falling falling hard and fast was made easier by having that strong community of the west philly swingers uh in addition to the broader philadelphia scene at jazz attack yeah yeah so speaking so that's that's your start into dancing yep. right yeah when would you say you felt comfortable with swinging out like dancing just like not even thinking about what you're doing you're just dancing yeah, probably. So I, I remember distinctly my first comfortable social dance came about two months into my dancing. There was a wonderful leader in West Philly Swingers named Emily Fitzpatrick. And she was one of the dancers where every time you dance with her, you just feel like you're amazing. Um, and I had a social dance with her at our West Philly Swingers show offs, which is like halfway through the semester. All of the numbers give a little. Uh, brief demo of how far they've come and they get feedback from the rest of the group and it's mm -hmm. just to bring everybody together uh, and there was some social dancing in between a couple of the uh, mini performances there and I remember getting through a whole song to probably take it easy greasy by Naomi and her handsome devils mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and just feeling like I was it, it, I was just over the moon so yeah, we were we were swinging out pretty pretty early with that group to put it on stage. Nice. Now you mentioned you mentioned something that I want I have I was curious about. You said members showcased how far they've come and got feedback from other members of the club. Yeah. So this is in the performance context. So remember those gotcha. shows every semester. There will be eight to twelve members. People in the club might be in you know anywhere between one to four of those uh, numbers per semester. Um, and the choreographers and the people that were in those dances would put on, you know, a little mini showcase of how far they, um, how far they'd uh, gotten their choreography and they get some feedback on, on how it looked and where they could take it. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Now this is all completely like performance based, right? Or was this also just social dance and dancer based? Well, the, the, the show is a performance. Um, yeah. however, even in the show, there was always an intermission and intermission was the troop members dancing and inviting the audience onto the stage to come dance. Wow. With them. Um, so social dancing was always a part uh, of even the performances that the group was making. And yeah. all of the training was done with social dancing in mind. And we as the members would take that and apply that to the performances. Dude, that's that's really that's really, really neat. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming because you did that, there needed to be a level of trust and a level of decorum and respect when giving that feedback. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're giving feedback to anyone, especially when you are a couple months into your dance journey and being asked to give feedback to other people, or when you're, you know, a year or two in and hearing feedback from someone that's a couple months in. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a, a necessity of, um knowing how to give helpful feedback there yeah that that is something that i find really powerful because we'll talk about that more in like a community because being able to give constructive feedback as well as digest constructive feedback can be different because everyone is different for me for yep. example i don't like being given unsolicited advice because i need to be in a specific mindset to receive advice 
you know? Never give unsolicited advice, people listening to this podcast. Just <laughs> unless you're getting hurt. If you're getting hurt, tell someone. But yeah. Oh gosh, that always sucks. Yeah, a hundred a hundred fifty percent. And so I was I was thinking, I was just thinking about that in that context. That's really cool that that club has that. And I imagine that was a shift. So that was a shift from college to jazz attack. Yeah. Cause you're, are you still in college? No, no. I graduated uh, from uh, Penn in 2019. So I've been out for gotcha. yep. full-time adulting now, huh? Woo. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So then can you talk to me about how your transition was into jazz attack and what jazz attack is like now? Well, I'm lucky that I, had been a part of jazz attack even while I was still in college. So it wasn't mm -hmm. a total whiplash. It's definitely different in that, you know, in the college group, you have that one set of people that you are doing these numbers with. Maybe your rehearsal is 11 to midnight on like Wednesday or something like that. And, and you get tight with those people. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the biggest difference is that this is just jazz attack. It's once a week and people show up when they want to show up. Uh, and so still longing for some of those similar social connections with other people. And I think that's what drives a lot of my community work is, is the social side of things. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely a, definitely a change from the rigor and the required nature of a lot of things for the, for the college club. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, you mentioned it's once a week. If I were from out of town, what details would I need to know about Jazz Attack? You head on over to jazzattackswings.com. You can find all the details on there, but every week, uh, pretty reliably, 8 to 9 p.m., there'll be concurrent beginner and intermediate drop-in lessons. Sometimes there'll be a theme for the intermediate lessons for a month. So you know, this past month for Black History Month, we had a, a Black History focus where each of those classes focused on a clip of some of our favorite um, uh, an old clip of some of our favorite black dancers and then breaking them down and working on them as a class together. Um, mm. But those drop-ins, you can come anytime, intermediate drop-in, you can come anytime and build up your skills as you as you continue to work on it. Nice. So a comfort class and the social dance. Nice, nice. And you have live bands every once in a while, yeah? Yep. Every second Thursday of the month, uh, we'll have a live band. And it's always, you know, we're lucky that we have some really great live music here in Philadelphia spearheaded by Chelsea Reed and the Fairweather Band, um, but, you know, some other great ones as well with Chris Oates and the South Philly Swing All-Stars, Josh Lee and the Extended Family, and being in kind of the middle of New York City and Baltimore in D.C. gives us some other musicians to pull from as well for some really fun live music nights. Dude, your location kind of reminds me of, like, Indiana, where I learned how to dance and how uh -huh. it's in the middle of all these states. How often do you all travel to like their weekly dance or their events and stuff? So, so that's something that we're still trying to build back up. Pre-pandemic mm. happened a lot more frequently. Since coming back from the pandemic, we've been focused on building the dance size back up to its previous levels to get that stability um, as a community and as an organization. And now, really just as of this past month, we're back at those levels, which is really exciting. Um, so now coming up in the spring, we have some plans to start doing that again. We have plans uh, to go down to Mob Town in Baltimore and to get up to Swing Remix in New York City and to go to DCLX and Pit Stop and these sorts of things. Um, yeah. Hopefully that we can instill in the community is something that's really fun. Um, 
not only to improve your dancing by dancing with people that have different styles and backgrounds, but as a social means of bringing people together. Yeah, 150%. Every, I have to say, every time I watch your, your Instagram stories of when you go to Jazz Attack, I'm thinking, damn, that looks like a lot of fun. So that, it's a good I, every Thursday, come through anytime you want. Yeah, I, I was like, I really, I really, really want to go to Philly because I, I'm also friends with Lauren and Lauren, right? Yep. Lauren Levy and, so, and Lauren Bonnet. Yep. So I, I definitely, I definitely want to see them again at some point. Um, but yeah, I, you, you always make it seem, oh, not just you, but the entire atmosphere just seems super welcoming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, shout out to Kate Holden, who is our social media. Yeah. Uh, she, makes us look awesome uh all the time and i'm uh i'm happy to help out with that and hold the camera occasionally and get some of the shots too yeah 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 i mean you kate is part of it you're part of it um who else do have i met who's part of like that team it might mike teaches yeah 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 so the the team is made up of myself kate holden jen reddick irene elias matt rapp mike mcdermott um and uh jen reddick um, and it's a really wonderful, uh, I think that's a team of seven of us that uh, we're all volunteers. We run the, we run the thing and we've got a really good rapport, uh, at this point. So yeah. And Mary Margaret, if I missed her name on there as well. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's, it sounds like it, it sounds like you all have something really good going, which I'm, uh, I'm envious of not that we don't have something good here, but that, that team, that inner working team is kind of special to have. It is, and it's partially out of necessity. You know, mm. like we're Philadelphia, I like to call it the biggest little scene around. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Philadelphia doesn't have any professional swing dancers. Philadelphia doesn't have any all-star dancers. Mm. Philadelphia might have a dancer or two that could sneak their way into the advanced level at ILHC, but most of us are kind of in that open category or just non-competing um type folks which is the group that i fall into um and that necessitates this sort of we gotta work together to uh to build this up and it's a mindset that not only um affects us here at jazz attack but affects all of the little constellation of dance events around um the city it's a rising tide lifts all boats mindset between jazz attack and the balboa groups and the university club and that sort of thing we recognize that and all work together to help make it happen yeah, dude, that's that's so cool that you all have that type of synergy. I was gonna say because I know that uh, people in your area there's also Nicole Chaus Chaucy, mm -hmm. Chaus? yeah, and then Isabel. Yeah, Isabel's down in D.C. Big fan. Oh yeah, and then Phil also isn't that far from Philly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's down in Baltimore, but he comes up a good amount to to dance in Philly. Yeah, 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 yeah. There. There are a ton of people that I've heard sing high praises of Jazz Attack, um, which actually gets me to the next question is, this, this may seem slightly woo-woo, but I definitely <laughs> want to ask you, okay. <laughs> like, what are the things you love about Jazz Attack? Oh, that's not woo-woo. I could go about this all day. I mean, I the, 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 the first thing is, it's always the people that mm. make um, one of the things that I really appreciate is that recently Jazz Attack has really been 
putting in the work to build up the community um, mm. top on and bottom up. It's just something where so many of the like quote unquote advanced dancers or, or top dancers of the group, I and a bunch of others try to instill this mindset of we need to be a welcoming space that is bringing in everybody and making sure that anyone that walks through that door not only feels welcome but wanted and seen based yeah. that that um, that's super super important so it, it starts with the people and the fact that so many of them are willing to jump into that mindset um, is really special um, number two love the live music scene that we have here in philadelphia I, I hope i hope that we can start getting more than one live band and dance a month uh going forward and man they are they are so so killer mm. um and I think the the third thing is that the uh, the group of dancers that we do have uh, this goes this goes back to the people again, but they're willing to put in the time um, to create a great atmosphere for the dance itself. Mm-hmm. And there's enough that go into that, but uh, I think that like we have a really high quality set of DJs that are here that mm-hmm. are playing music by great artists. We have teachers that are investing in understanding not only the steps, but like the cultural origins of this and making sure that they're culturally competent when they're teaching. Um, and then that mindset kind of spreads around the, the community too. And it's something where y- you just see so many people who are there on their first night being asked by some of the more experienced dancers and then gaining the confidence to ask other dancers themselves seeing that happen in real time it's certainly not with everybody um but with a really good portion of the folks that are coming is something that i think makes it a really special place to be yeah yeah i definitely hear when you're talking about the people piece right yeah so how do you how do you go about how do you you all go about like fostering that welcoming environment and you know ask talking to the people that encourages them to dance with other people explicitly <laughs> like Ooh. very very explicitly with you know the people that i that i organize with i'm i'm adamant with them that like our purpose here is to create um a welcoming space for people to come in dance away the uh the troubles from the past week make new friends and and grow together going forwards so mm-hmm. it starts with the the team and then from there one of the other big things is after any of our intermediate lessons we always make a point to pull them together and say, hey, we've got a lot of beginners here tonight and they just watched you do a double tuck turn. They think that you are the greatest dancer they have ever seen. And if you ask them to dance, it's going to make their night. You commit to asking three to five of the new folks tonight uh, to dance. Like that sort of thing, those mm-hmm. like immediate requests, everyone, it, it flicks a switch with people and they recognize, oh yeah, I, I was there. I should do that for this person. Let's do it. Let's make it happen together. And it creates the team beyond the team, like the whole the whole community of people working together to make that happen. It's not just right. one or two assigned taxi dancers. Yeah, 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 for sure. So you talk to all of your organizing team, right? Yep. As yep. well as all of the dancers who've been dancing for a while. Let's call them that for namesake, right? for dancers that are in that intermediate like lindy two group those are people that yeah. have been five or more weeks like it's not gotcha. too crazy there yeah 
Gotcha. So not only do you talk like to your organizers and to dancers who come regularly, but you mm-hmm. also talk to your in, your intermediate class and say, mm-hmm. hey, you were in this position before. Now you're here. Yep. They would love it if you asked them to dance. Imagine how you felt if someone asked you to dance, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like if people are there and I, I hope I, I hope that if people are there and they're seeing me and some of the other folks going around and very intentionally asking some of these new folks to dance, they'll just jump on and do it themselves too. Um, so it's, it's something that is a very intentional effort for me when I'm running it, I prefer to use the three to one rule, which is I tell myself, okay, I'm going to dance with three of the newer beginner dancers for every dancer that's at a similar level to me for the first hour of this social dance every single time I do that. Um, and that's not something that I ask everybody else to do, but for people that like an explicit thing to reference, that's a good and helpful one that I've used. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I can, I can put myself in those shoes too. Like if I were a beginner, I'd be nervous because I don't know any of these people. I knew this dance. I may feel internally that, oh, I don't want to, I don't want someone to suffer this dance with me, yep. you know? Yep. But I, I feel like in order for someone to say, I'm suffering through this dance with someone else, they have to believe something else right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I always, I love to give beginners an out to like, whenever I ask someone to dance and they're like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm really a beginner. I'm like, that's fine. Would you like to dance for a minute or half a song? Like that sort of thing. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. I can do like half a song. And then we get half a song and I'm like, Hey, it was really nice dancing with you. Do you want to keep going? Or do you want to take a breather? And some of them will want to finish it out who wouldn't have wanted to do that. Otherwise, other ones want to stop. And that's a great chance to not only dance with the beginners, but talk to them too, right? Like sometimes we'll go and we'll just, you know, do all this crazy stuff with them. And then they're just kind of like, oh my God, what just happened? Like so-and-so right. dancer just dance with me, but I am busy and scared. Um, mm-hmm. Taking that time afterwards uh, to try to learn two things about them and leave them with two things that they've learned about me. Mm-hmm. is a wonderful way to actually get to know them and then taking them and being like have you met shannon who is also interested in this thing that you just told me about and then boom connection scene building dude i i have never heard anyone talk about uh, everyone bring up the thought of oh you're a beginner do you want to just do one minute do you want to do half a song or something yeah. like that because then that gives that does give him an out that's so smart did you come up with that or who came up with that uh i am sure i am not the first one to have the idea it's not one that i heard from somebody else um it's actually something where a beginner with me said maybe can we just dance a little and and then i was like oh interesting let's keep that in mind and and go from there Um, but yeah it's something that i think has definitely helped and a number of them do want to tap out after a minute or a minute and a half and then we can just chat a little bit that's perfectly fine dude that's that's so cool that is, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that and reference you. Please go right ahead. Yeah. The first thing that comes to my mind is I don't know. I think that we do that at Lindigu, where we talk uh-huh. about, hey, ask us to dance, or mm-hmm. ask other people to dance. But I don't think we do it as explicitly. Uh, yeah. No. The the whole like, hello, beginner. Ask this person that looks amazing to dance. Like they are scared of you. Um, mm-hmm. it, it has to be the other way around. Um. I, it wasn't for me when I started dancing because 
I have the unwarranted and unfounded confidence of a white guy that grew up in this was not told no very often. Um, But but for the large majority of people, um, it it has to be the other way uh, around there. You yeah, you're 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 very right in that sense, because I I remember I still get this way sometimes when I see some people dancing at a comic. I'm like, man, I really want to ask her to dance. But I'm like, but she's so good. Like she'll, or they'll just, they, they'll suffer through the dance with me. Well, the important, the important thing is that I'm only asking that like half a dance question. If I ask them to dance and they're like, oh no, I'm a beginner. I don't know. I'm not like going up to someone that I see is new and being like, hello, would you like to dance half a song? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, oh, he doesn't want to dance a full song with me versus the other way it's, no, he just wants to put me in a space where I'm comfortable uh, and let me have some fun with it and then go from there. So, yeah. I think I'm going to call this podcast Dancing Half a Song Question Mark because that's so, <laughs> that's so, I, I love it. Now, when we're talking about dancing half a song or dancing with uh, new people or encouraging that sort of community, I imagine that you ran into some roadblocks, yeah, or some difficulties at times. Yeah, there, there are definitely dancers that are there for purposes other than what I value the most. Like for me, mm-hmm. that community building and that sense of making a space where people can um, process their uh, process, use it as a space to process, still go to therapy. Yeah, <laughs> use, it as a, use it as a space where you can get some of that out of your system um is is priority to me there are some people that really want to focus on getting better for xyz performance or competition or that sort of thing and they only want to dance with dancers abc and and i can't necessarily stop that but what i can do is continuously show what i value ensure that i'm surrounded by a team of people that are aligned with that and put people in positions of uh, respect like being a teacher or a DJ or even a door volunteer that uh-huh. share these too. Um, to me, when we do that, it sets the example for the rest of the scene and allows some of those people to be there without having that mindset that I don't always consider to be the most healthy at the local scene level, um, mm-hmm. being uh, overpowering for some of the for some of the people that don't share that. Yeah, for sure. I do think that the Lindy Hop scene kind of has different pockets of people that believe different things, right? I think you yeah. and I definitely align on the community piece, but there are also people who have been dancing for over a decade, right? Yeah. They've done the community thing and all that. And now they're like, oh, this is time away from my kids where I want to spend time with my friends, right? Yep. Yep. And I, I totally, totally get that. Um, in a space like where we are in Philly at Jazz Attack, where this is the one chance that we have to build this community. Mm-hmm. I really, but I think that there are tons of spaces for those sorts of people, those, you know, house parties, practice sessions, all those sorts of things seem like the perfect place to invite, you know, the five or six people that you really want to dance with, do mm-hmm. it, practice, you know, have a great time together, fully support that. Um, but the last thing that I want at any of my events is a corner of people who the rest of the dance feels like they can't go up and, and dance with their after dance. Mm-hmm. Then you, you immediately start to feel excluded. And we did struggle with that at Jazz Attack for a while. And, and some days it rears its head again. 
Um, but it's something that we worked very actively to try to, to pull apart. Yeah, like the cat's corner, right? Yeah. Or the yeah. corner by the DJ booth, right? Yeah, it's it's always that corner. Yeah, yeah. Right. We, we actually, at one point, we put a table in that spot and removed the chairs um, to like kind of force a redispersion of where like where people were orienting themselves in the space. Uh -huh. That's it's again not trying to uh, say those people shouldn't be at the dance. They should absolutely come, um, right. but in space where we're trying to where the purpose for me at least is to build community. That's what mm -hmm. I want to. Do versus just a hyper-competitive corner. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely hear you on that. And uh, the, just, just to double down on that, if anyone is listening, this is not at all dogging on anyone who doesn't do this or who like has different values. It, their values are completely valid because they have their reasons to do that, right? At the same time, I think because Nick and I feel strongly about the community piece, that's something that we value, right? Yeah, so doubling back on that, I feel like everyone, everyone's reasons for going to a dance and dancing with who they want is valid. I think where mm -hmm. it becomes difficult is when it becomes like an othering of people, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's sometimes difficult because when that othering starts to align with what we can visually see about those people, so... If it's someone, you know, a group of people that share a similar background or body type or that sort of thing, it mm -hmm. creates another layer on top of that of not a welcoming space um, mm -hmm. for everybody. And uh, there was a great uh, Isabel who, who you brought up earlier, Isabel Maracar down in DC, she had this great story the other night, and I'd love to, to quote a little piece of it um, that was... Uh, representation is great it's always nice to see people in a scene that look like you but creating a true environment where members of a community unconditionally support one another and provide space for each of us to exist as our unapologetic unique selves this is lindy hop and this is what all of us should strive for whether as leaders or members and i saw that and i was like i, I sent her a message i was like i want you <laughs> to move to philly and be on my like team with me here because that's it, it, that's exactly what we're going for yeah, a hundred, a hundred fifty percent. Like that's so powerful. I actually had a conversation with my friend Jen Jennifer Wang. She was mm -hmm. here working with me, and she totally, she totally challenged me. She said, "Hey, when was the last time you danced with this person or this body type or something?" And I was like, "Damn, yeah, you're right. I I can't fully remember because I'm in. I'm so engrossed and like, oh, I'm in my happy place. I'm seeing my friends, and I I try to dance." with a variety of people, but I think I just get consumed by that and don't actively work through it, right? So that's we, a very, yeah, a very powerful statement that Isabel put there. We all have those biases if we're not intentionally focusing on, on working on them. And, you know, stop me if I'm veering off of the, the course that you want to go, but that's one of the things that I think the scene could do a lot more of is at both the local and the sort of traveling festival level really intentionally welcoming people of all backgrounds and body types like if you imagine what we usually see at a major international competition uh sort of thing it's probably you know folks who are largely white or lighter skinned more slim more heteronormative this sort of thing and i just think to myself like 
the dancing that we're seeing is reflective of that. Imagine how much better Lindy Hop could be if we had the full range of backgrounds and bodies that we see in the world around us. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much that we're missing out on. And I think there's pieces at every level, but it starts at the local level of making sure that we're going and intentionally asking those folks to dance, making sure that they know that they're wanted in the spaces. Um, there, regardless of their background, regardless of their body type or gender presentation and how that aligns with what role they're dancing and all those sorts of things, the more that we can do to eliminate those barriers, especially as the organizers of dances or people that have been dancing for a little bit, the more welcoming the community comes, the more socially connected it becomes, the more stronger it becomes. And in social dancing, the social comes before the dancing. When you can create a strong social scene, you will have strong dancing that results from it. It's the most wonderful coincidence that that I've found. Well, it's not a coincidence, but it's the most wonderful trend that I've found so far in in organizing. Oh yeah, a hundred, a hundred fifty percent. Um, so if you're a newer dancer, if you're just learning, listening to this podcast because you're just starting out, uh, this can be a lot like in the weeds and stuff. Yeah. But I think yeah. that there is a huge emphasis and a heart that people around the country in the Lindy Hop scene have for welcoming all body types, all different races, all, all different mm -hmm. sorts of people to make sure that it's a truly inclusive and welcoming environment. Yeah. yeah. And, and now it's about making sure that we're having that at all levels of the scene, making sure that judges and competitions or competition organizers aren't just setting the speed at 260 beats a minute because they can, because you're being exclusive about who can compete in that competition when you do. Um, it's, it's something where uh, there was a great quote the other, just yesterday from a, a really awesome webinar with Ray Armstrong um, and Shelby Johnson through the Collective Voices for Change, where he said, yeah, I'd rather value self-expression over speed. Um, and that was something where I was just like, like, it makes total sense when you, when you say it there, you know, who, who cares how fast you can swing out? Show me, show us how you can get down with it. Um, yeah, that sort of thing. You know, people of all backgrounds and body types can add their flavor um, to the dance there, and it, and it can be so much better um, when we create the space uh, to do that. Oh, 150 um, percent. We're we're starting to dive into that conversation of the competition piece, but before yeah. we get there, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, mm -hmm. And we kind of talked about this a little bit, but you talked about how making it very inclusive and welcoming and warm what are other things that you wish this you wish to see more in different scenes or events so th i think there's a lot that that i would love to see change in in the lindy hop world the, the first one is that welcoming people of all backgrounds and body types um mm -hmm. but there are a couple others as well that are, that are top of my mind recently um the next is getting outside of the lindy hop and jazz bubble i think Latasha Barnes has done a fantastic job of like putting in the forefront the full continuum of black uh, music and dance um, and uh, the evolution of music and styles over time and how connected they all are. There's so much that we can gain and learn from taking some of those other classes or going to those other events, seeing what we like and bringing the best of that into uh, the Lindy Hop world that we have now. Um, another thing is losing the volunteerism. Uh, this is something that I am definitely guilty of. The, the organization that I run is a nonprofit and we are all volunteers. Um, but 
charging more, being willing to pay more and using that surplus to support the people who can't mm. versus intentionally just trying to bring the price lower and lower and lower to set the kind of lowest bar of entry. Having, mm. having that intentionally uh, priced, like this is how much this art is worth. Um, mm. And then having the people who can pay that, pay that jazz attack has something called the pay it forward system where people can choose to pay more than the admission cost. And that extra money goes towards putting out free passes on the table that anyone can pick up and use for a free dance. It's kind of like that. The idea comes from those uh, $1 pizza slice stores where uh-huh. you can post a note off the wall and get a free slice of pizza. Same idea there. And I'd love to see more of that um, in the scene. Um, yeah. How can we still welcome parents? The scene is getting older and we need to think about how we're going to create spaces where parents and little kids can be uh, in the space. And then just encouraging and organizing people uh, encouraging and empowering people to organize locally. Um, mm-hmm. I think big things. Yeah, five backgrounds and bodies outside the Lindy Hop bubble, lose the volunteerism, childcare, encourage and empower to organize locally. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I kind of want to dig into the losing the volunteerism piece because yeah. Lindy Hop is, I think, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but from what I've seen, Lindy Hop is one of the cheapest dance forms out there. Like all of our yeah. events are super cheap. All of our dances are super cheap. They're far cheaper than some of the other like Latin and even yeah. West Coast events out there. Do you know why that is? Um, I mean, I'm curious to hear your insight. To me, I think that it is that way because that's the way it's been and we've told ourselves that this is our way of being inclusive is by making it cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas what we're actually doing is cheapening the art form, not making enough money to properly pay dancers, that, uh, instructors and musicians, um, mm-hmm. and digging ourselves into this hole where we're just kind of constantly catering to the lowest willing to pay of people that might want to be interested in dancing. Um, mm-hmm. From my experiences, at least here in Philadelphia, we raised the price of our social dance. We started charging for the intermediate lessons that were a part of it. And we kept the same attendance that we had before, but we had more people start to use that pay it forward pass system that we had. So we were able to actually net more money because on average, more people were paying more. The people that we were cutting down the the cost for made up a smaller percentage. So we were able to make more off of that, raise what we were paying our teachers and bands and Mm -hmm. continue to welcome the people that couldn't afford the higher rates. Gotcha. Yeah, that, I think that's so true. And if you're, if you're listening and you are a business economics person, um, feel free to comment on this on Instagram when it's up there, yeah. right? But when it, comes to, when it comes to that topic, I don't know the answer, right? But I think that that's really powerful because it does pay it forward for the next people. Yeah. One thing that definitely I think about is the artists, so the professional instructors and the full-time musicians, right? right. Um, there's right. this... There's this new event called uh, the St. Louis Gateway Get Down. Um, All right. I'm botching it and my friend is going to kill me. I have to say it correctly or else he's going to 
Kilby. Yeah, it's a St. Louis swing um, getaway get down. So I got it right. <laughs> uh -huh. But uh, that event is insane because my buddy who's organizing it has a $10,000 cash prize for competitions because he's Whoa. trying. Yeah, dude, it's insane. It's insane because he's trying to raise the organizer bar to see, to make sure that we're paying our professionals and the musicians what they're worth and more so that it's yeah. actually sustainable and no longer this cheap thing trying yeah. to keep things low, you know? Yeah, I don't think I don't think people realize that like the house of cards, like uh, as cheap as possible, nature goes all the way to the top. Like think of the like top Lindy Hop events here. And those organizers are only getting paid for the time that they're spending at the event itself. None mm -hmm. of the plan. Um, mm -hmm. The artists that are coming in are only getting paid for the hours that they're teaching a class there. Like their their flights and accommodations. Sure. But like there's so much more that goes into this. And that's one of the biggest things that I'd love to see is those artists, both the dancers and the musicians, really getting, um, being able to be paid what they're worth. That'll do so much good for the dance in the long term, too, because more people will be able to, to do it. More people will be able to spend that time on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 150%. Um, something that I was thinking about doing this whole thing was just the, the, pow the power of legacy. Because like you said, in the past, it was just, oh yeah, we, we, we were college students, we don't have very much money, let's keep things super cheap. At least in the Midwest, all the events weren't more than, I don't know, 70, 90 bucks or something like that. For a full and weekend? For a full weekend, yeah. I organized an event once where I charged, I think it was, it was insane. And I was in college, I was still figuring my shit out but mm -hmm. I was charging $15 for a full weekend where people got housing and there were six, six instructors. So three pairs of instructors and they got a full weekend pass for $15. $15. So I was like, Oh, I want to make it cheap. I want to make everyone come and all that. Now we had 300 attendees. It was insane, mm -hmm. but yeah never ever doing that again and from a financial standpoint i actually had uh someone i was dating at the time be in charge of finances and she like yelled at me when she saw the books she's like this is you can't do this again there's no yeah. way that's sustainable so from a, the payment perspective it definitely makes sense yeah you know yep that well, means oh go ahead yeah. go ahead go ahead no, no it's, it's all good I, I was gonna say like there there are places where we want to make it particularly affordable for certain groups of people, younger dancers being one of those key groups in making sure that there's like a constant stream of, of new um, energy that's that's entering the scene. That's important. And it's something that the West Coast scene actually does a lot better than the Lindy Hop scene is they have some really, really solid student discounts on a lot of yeah. their events, at least on the East Coast. Not sure about the West Coast where you are. Um, but it can literally be a third of the price for a student versus a regular attendee because they recognize the value of having them there. That said, for folks who can afford to, to pay that amount, it's, it's important that they're paying for what the artist worth so we can continue to support and share the art form. For sure. And scholarships as well, because I know Camp Hollywood yep. has scholarships. Yep. And I think that's really powerful because it gives the opportunity for people of different backgrounds to be mm -hmm. able to attend events that they otherwise wouldn't be able to, right? If they're providing housing and a ticket, that's yep. huge. Massive.
So one of the things I did want to bring up with you is the competition piece because we were talking about events, yeah. And you 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 said that you don't compete, yeah. Not uh, not typically, no. Sometimes if there's you know an open mix and match sort of thing, I'll I'll throw my name in the hat, but I I don't train to compete. Yeah. So the compet as far as Lindy Hop and competition goes, it's kind of strange, right? Because it's several people have different views and everyone everyone's feelings are valid in regards to competitions but i was curious to hear like your what you thought of competitions and where your mind is at and all that yeah i, th I think ilhc held a really solid panel on this at their uh, event in europe um, mm. and one of the things that they talked about is that historically a lot of the feeling and sense of competition was organic. You mm -hmm. go to... Oh, you might have something hit. Something starts going, oh, did I freeze? I no, nope, you're good, you're back, you're back. All right, um, but anyways, you go to you know uh, a house dance or, or something like that. And when, when someone's really going off, uh, it'll form a cipher naturally around them. And then people mm -hmm. start in and out and this is you know this is a something you'll see across many different um black vernacular art forms um but that it's something that's more organic um i i believe oh gosh I'm, I'm struggling to remember which member of the panel it was that talked about this but they're like we even compete to dress up in how we're looking at church on sunday like that sort <laughs> of organic competition sort of thing versus this uh, structure that we've created that centers around mix and match formerly known as Jack and Jill competitions or strictly competitions, um, that sort of thing that, that sometimes, um, I, I think it can bring the best out of folks and inspire them, but it's something that often feels a little out of place to me with that sort of organic competition feel that has been described as a, a value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember Tydrick posted this uh, when it was either a story or a video or something where they were talking about ciphers and how they were organic and community oriented. Yeah. You know? And how it's a, it's a space for you to go in and say what you have to say and then go out and someone can come in and say what they have to say and maybe that conflicts with what you had to say and then you've got a battle sort of thing. Um, but it's it's not a space that's supposed to be like only the best can go in where sometimes we see this in jams where like only people people feel like they can only go in if they know air steps and they can swing out super fast and the jam circles only form when the song is 240 beats a minute and mm -hmm. this like no it's about it's, it's like you said it's about the community coming together often sparks uh by a catalyst of someone just really going off um, and, and that feels like it's missing in a lot of the more, um, number on back competitions that we, that we see today. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel that. So I remember there were some jam circles that I was, that I experienced where it wasn't planned. People didn't say, let's start a jam circle or right. whatnot. Someone just heard the song. People were dancing. There were these two people that just popped off. And so yep. everyone kind of centered around them and just started clapping. And the start of that jam and the people that went in, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was at Pit Stop. It was at Pit Stop, right? That yep. event is so fucking good. Like, 
it's one of my favorite events because it's so raw and just full of we're just here to dance that's all we're here to do you know we're great bands we're here to bring people together and we're here to dance yeah yeah simple formula that that works really well that being said um i did i did talk to like some judges that i very i really appreciate there's like nick williams natalia and matt ritchie they're all out here and i talked i talked with them and they mentioned how yeah Lin, or at least sorry with nick williams he said that when you're doing a competition it is performance and if you are going to do a competition i feel like a part of the competition is including the crowd like you know making yeah. it not not be like a we're you're lucky to be witnessing us it's more like we are lucky to give you back the energy you're giving us you know what yeah. i mean yeah i i hear that and and to me competition shouldn't just be that one thing like competition happens on the social dance floor and people like me i say i don't compete because it's the easiest way for me to say i don't do mix and match or strictly or you know solo jazz wear number on back competitions very often mm-hmm. if we start to give people the freedom to recognize that there are healthy supportive competitions where no one's being given necessarily the number one ribbon um mm-hmm. so that's completely an option for for people um yeah i i hear what nick is saying it is definitely a, a performance i don't want to rag on on people that put a lot of time into that because it's definitely takes a lot of effort and they get a cool result out of it um, mm-hmm. it's just not i tend to value as much in my dancing yeah and i feel like there are some people who are listening right now that re- might really resonate with that where they say i don't i don't like competing i want to just dance you know yeah it's and but it gets tricky when that becomes the source of validation in the scene being mm-hmm. um there are exceptions but a lot of uh, the higher level instructors will tell you that their gigs are or were contingent on high level competition wins at major competitions um and those sorts of of things if that's what we put on a pedestal we have to recognize the baggage that comes with that of those competitions are being set up by people that want a certain thing to be showcased there they're being judged by people that are looking for a certain set of criteria and they've come up through a system where they've you know won or or lost in those capacities and i don't know that the values behind all of those things have been right in the past you know easy easy thing to point out is the speed thing right where like all of a sudden we're just cranking the the tempo up and seeing who can hold on i I think there's a lot more um to the the dance than that and we're starting to see more and more competitions like that we're starting to see judges saying no we're looking for personality more than a perfectly choreographed routine uh every single time which there's a space for both um mm-hmm. but that sort of thing that evolution it's important to recognize how that affects what we perceive to be the top of the scene and how that trickles down it's it's a lot of kind of undoing that we sometimes have to do at the local level to be like no you don't need to look like this dancer you need to you need to find what you want to look like how you feel how this dancing mm-hmm. makes you not how you can turn your head like this and lift your arm like this and twist or swivel um, like this. There's there's so many different things that you can do to find yourself on the dance floor. 
a hundred a hundred fifty percent and I feel I personally I love the classic competitions or the competitions that are more like personality and more show us show us your style type yeah. of stuff you know I yeah. maybe maybe because like that's for me one of my strengths and one of yeah. the things I love uh -huh. um but I do have to say that there is something to say about the the competition culture with Lindy Hop. I've I've been I was at a point where I like I was so upset that I didn't make finals, and I checked myself. I felt like, why am I? Why am I? Why do I feel this way? And there were other reasons, but one of them was because I was tying so much of my personal identity with how yeah. well I was doing, and something that comes over on and on again that I hear professionals say is you are not your dance ability or no. dance result. No. Know? No. For like your competition result is contingent on the one judge that saw you for 10 seconds to this particular song with this particular partner. Like and maybe it wasn't even an assessment on the values that are the same as yours. Um so why put so much stock into it? It's it's one of the reasons that for me the local scene is 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 king like that it's the local scene is it the lungs of the swing dance scene the competition side of things it's it's wonderful uh, mm -hmm. some of the um you know the way it pushes some people to um really work on their dancing and try to develop their style and that sort of thing i'm intrigued by some of the battle type formats that are bringing out more of the values like call and response um and connection to the every part of the music and how you're dancing to it those values by the way coming from a really really awesome resource that odysseus baylor put together called a blueprint for cultural inclusion um mm. highly recommend checking it out um but competitions that that try to bring out those values are, are the ones that i enjoy the most and it's interesting to see those value uh hierarchies clash in real time mm. i think of the Savoy Cup Team City Battle, as an mm. example, um, where the most recent finals of it featured a team, I believe it was from Milan, Italy, um, that was so clean, so snappy, white tailored suits with purple accents. Mm. A team from Belgium that was absolutely wild dancers like all doing their own thing and like everything is different until everyone is swinging out together and then it's different and that like and seeing those two things on display and, and the team from from Belgium in this case one I, I'm pretty sure it's Belgium I have to, to double check there Brussels um but uh seeing those two things next to each other was like a clear depiction for me of some of the different values um that have propagated through the competition scene over time um, and how they affect the way entire scenes can function. You know, it's so funny that you brought up like city scene competitions because. Oh. Um, oh. I'm, oh I'm, I'm scheming. I'm scheming on stuff. Because if you think about it that way, right? If you come up with like a battle sequence with your scene, that, per that brings the scene together. That brings yeah. that city together. And you have like this like, we're we're a scene together we're going to this other scene to you know show show our style show our fun and have something to say at its um, best yeah yeah 
so that when it comes to competition, I know that that's something interesting. And I know we didn't talk about this, but something else that I also find kind of in that realm is uh, track placements, right? Because yeah. those can, I, when I think of like the most stressful things of Lindy Hop, I think like organizing competitions and track placements, right? And if it's stressful for you when you're a primary lead, imagine how it feels to the primary follows. Like right. it's, it's, it's an entirely different ball game. And again, it's just a place where these values come up where all of a sudden split second, you're like, oh, can this person triple step to a song that's 180 beat a minute? Is that really how we want to like value someone's dancing to put them into a track? Yeah, they're tough. They're tricky. It's I very understand, tricky. Yeah. I understand where come from with them. I understand the, the desire for them. And I, I don't have any good answers around that, unfortunately. Oh, man, I don't think I don't think we ever will because it's a it's a it's a two sided coin. Right. Because for one, you do want to have track placement so that people who paid money want to get the most out of the classes. Right. Yep. But and at be the same time. Double. Yep. Totally. understand. Yeah. But then at the same time, there's that other coin that's also difficult for if you're if you're like a beginner dancer and you're wondering what track placements are track mates are when you go to an event and the instructors watch you and then they put you in different tracks depending where they feel like you would gain the most knowledge so or where you would have yeah the intersection and the intermediate section and the advanced section and the masters they'll typically disguise them as you know colors or levels or something like that but that's uh, yeah that's what they are yeah and then there's that whole other thing i remember a couple years ago where if you got into a track you got a specific colored wristband and i remember going to uh, focus and like i remember when were their same color or above yeah Ugh. yeah 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 and then I remember I asked someone to dance and then before she said yes, she looked at my wristband nah. and then she said, oh yeah, for sure. And I think I was thinking, oh, I'm going to take this fucking thing off right now. Just so it, like no one knows, you know? Man, if you cannot find joy in dancing with people at any level of dancing, like I think that was the biggest revelation for me early in my dancing as I started to get a little bit better was I've always recognized that I have just as much fun dancing with people that are there for their first or second time because they have no box. They're not in the jazz box yet. They're mm -hmm. not in, oh, I need to move like this and look like this and think like this box that we sometimes find ourselves. Man, yeah, it's that's that's such a such a rough place to be. Yeah, I I'll say that. I do think there is something valid. I think like the only caveat is just making sure that, like, oh man, I'm going to a bunch of places because I'm trying to figure out the best way to navigate this. But I remember- podcast you can cut and edit <laughs> what you want. I'm, I think I decided I'm just not gonna edit anything. I'll just keep it nice and raw. But oh, wow. okay. I, remember, I remember someone saying, um, the best dancers that they've seen like really make an impact are the dancers who can literally dance with anyone and have like a blast. Like that, yeah. and I've seen that be really, really true. At the same time, we also have we everyone in the swing dancing. I think is in agreement about the whole. You don't want to dance with someone if they're hurting you, yes. right? Or if you yes. vocalize okay. that or something like that. And then there's also the flip side where no one owes you a dance, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's so nice to have that. If that's the goal, is having that welcoming environment. Other people have different goals. 
with like, you know, making money or competing and really training with those people or what have you, right? Um, but in, in my mind, I very much agree with you on, on the topic of like level tests and how they don't define your dancing. Like you're not, you are not your level test, right? So uh, to wrap up competitions and level placements, right? If you were to talk to a beginner or someone who's never done a competition or a level placement, what's something that you'd want them to definitely hear? I think the, the first thing here is that, you know, because I don't do a ton of competitions or level placements, you know, I'm not, I, I don't feel like I am an authority on the subject, but for someone that's starting and encountering them uh, for the first time, the, the biggest thing that I can encourage them to do is dance just like they would at the weekly dance for those. That's not necessarily going to be the advice in some of those situations that wins them the competition or potentially gets them into the level they want, which is what makes it tricky. It's like, do you, you know, for them want to kind of play to the game a little bit more or, or tell them to stick to themselves. But man, I would so much rather people confidently stick to themselves than feel like, they have to be somebody else for the sake of a competition or level check, then that just seeps into your mind and you start letting that control the rest of your dancing as well. 150%. Now, I, Andrea, I, I start calling this the 150% podcast. The 150% is how many times have I said that now? <laughs> uh, you can you can count on the, on the replay, but it's a, it's a good thing. I okay. want 200% by the end of this. Okay, sounds good. I mean, I very much agree with you on that because that is my philosophy, right? Amy and I, my partner, Amy Cabrera, or one of my partners, she and I approach every competition with a mindset of it would be nice, right? And we just dance our best dance. We dance who we are and we want to leave that floor with just one thing that we're proud of what we put out there and we just dance us. And I yeah. think, I think that's, I'm biased. But I really like going into it that way. And other, I think other people go into it with different mindsets, which is also completely valid, especially if you've trained really, really hard, right? And you want to say, yeah, I want to go home with a medal. That's 100% valid, right? Um, I will say for anyone who has never competed or never done a level test, it is definitely, you are not your level test or your competition results. You are so much more than that. Dare I say, there's so much more yeah. than just this dance. Right? Yeah. Um, yes. And so I hope that like the new, the newer people who are listening are able to take that away that, you know, you are not that you are so much more. And the fact that you're doing this dance at all is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. 150%. <laughs> nice. Well done. Okay. So we're, we're going to go towards the wrapping up part of the podcast um so i have just a couple final questions right so okay. the, the first one is um if listeners were trying to find out more about you or more about jazz attack where are the places they could look so you can find more about me on instagram at nick swings out or nick wings out whichever one you prefer to <laughs> use as your mnemonic there but yeah find me on find me on insta I've got my website on there as well um, you can learn more about Jazz Attack on Instagram at Jazz Attack Swings, on Facebook at Jazz Attack Swings, or at jazzattackswings.com. Um, 
And yeah, feel free to drop a line. If you're ever coming through Philly, uh, if you DM me, I'll get back to you. 150%. Boom. I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, okay, so that's where they can find your information. You also, we had talked about this before, but you have an event coming up, right? In May? Um, Yeah, so there's a a bunch of fun stuff coming up in May. Um, Mob Attack at Mob. Jazz Attack is collaborating with Mob Town, which is the uh, dance uh, venue down in Baltimore, to do Mob Attack Jazz Town, which is kind of an old school exchange where we'll have a band in Philly on Thursday night, and we'll go down to Baltimore on Friday night for a live band mm-hmm. and bring it home to Philly on, on Saturday for a Balboa dance and then a live band dance at night and uh, an outdoor dance on Sunday. So come through. It'll be a fun time to uh, to have a good bit of dancing. And then, uh, yeah, lots of other stuff going on as well. Check online. Uh, too, for all of the little constellation of Philly events happening along the way. Yeah, that would be really fun. And um, speaking of events, so do you have any big major events where you plan to go this year? Yeah, so you can catch me at my first DCLX. It was always during my college club show, so I could never go for years. Mm-hmm. Yes, my first DCLX, I'll be at ILHC. Um, you can catch me at Uptown Swing Out. That is non-negotiable. My favorite events in recent memory. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe, just maybe, I might travel to Europe for an event uh, sometime in the next year to visit some of my good buddies, Bryce and Ewan, that will be abroad in, in, in the area. Yeah. Uh-huh. Great. <laughs> um, funny story. I actually was supposed to go to, um, I was supposed to go to DCLX. I had my ticket and everything. But then I was talking to some friends and um, we're going to Coachella instead. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were fun, that you were coming. I was all excited to see you there, but that's I was, fine. Re- I'm fun I was really excited. Yeah, I was really excited as well. But at the same time, I, I, I know that I only have one chance to go with Coachella. And these are dear friends of mine. And they're like the perfect people to go with. Amen. And I thought, you know, I'm never going to go back to Coachella after this. But I know that I'll keep going back to like DCLX at some point. And this is for another topic, right? But I'm I'm very much approaching dancing with the mindset of this is something I love to do and it's very important to me. But yep. it's more important to me to spend time with friends and family if there's an event like a wedding that only happens once, right? Yep, absolutely. Right there with you, man. Yeah. So speaking of talking about those heartwarming and wonderful things, my last question I end all of these podcasts with is what's a message you want to leave for Lindy Hoppers that are listening right now? I, I think the biggest thing that I can say is be a community builder. Like Lindy Hop is local. Lindy Hop has always been local. You know, the origins of this dance form is in a tight knit community with the beating heart in the ballrooms of, of Harlem, New York City, at the Savoy and the Alhambra and all these different places be a community builder that can look like doing something like like i'm doing organizing an event for people to come to if you're not ready for that you can do something like committing to bringing one friend a month uh to a dance and helping to grow the scene that way or committing to dance with three or four new dancers every night and not just dancing with them talking to them getting to know them be Mm -hmm. a community builder um uh you know that is the beating heart in the lungs of the swing scene and if you invest in that the dancing around you will get better too yeah i love it i agree with that 200 percent 
Hey, <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, since we've done so much to talk about community building, I wanted to throw out a couple names for people to look up as yeah. well. Um, some community builders that really inspired me. Uh, Miss Julia Loving up in New York City has been bringing together so many uh, events and has put in a particular effort to have events that bring out some of the elders uh, of the swing scene and connect them to some of the younger dancers. She's someone that I really think is great. Miss Sing Lim uh, in uh, Singapore runs some really fantastic events there and is actually being honored at ILHC this year. So you can have the chance to meet her there. But her dance in Singapore is one of the few places where I felt just as welcome, if not more welcome than at my own dances here in Philadelphia. It was that good. She just does a, a really fantastic job. Um, Hannah Buck and Rolando Alvarez down in San Antonio, Texas, making a beautiful space for dancing to happen and coffee. Go check out Bright Coffee uh, if you're in the area. Um, rest in peace, but Miss Michelle Stokes with someone that I really looked up to. There's a really fantastic episode on uh, Chizomo and Bobby's podcast called Integrated Rhythm that features uh, Michelle Stokes. And she talks about what her ideal Lindy Hop event looks like. And I think if you enjoyed any part of this conversation, you would enjoy that. Go check out the podcast and support it on Patreon. Penny Nelson is someone that is constantly sharing community building resources. And yourself, Andre, you're someone that I look to as well. Um, I think about your line dances that are, you know, a really, really fun example of a way to build up uh, a connection among people. And, you know, anywhere in your wake, it just seems like there are, are people that are more connected to each other, whether it be those line dances. <laughs> be the houses at events that you're organizing or um some of the other you know party type things that you're throwing i think you do a good job with that too so yeah be a community builder everybody and check out those other folks for some inspiration well that's very sweet of you Nick. thank you so much super appreciate yeah. it and maybe put All that right. at five speed because i know i sped up the words a little bit <laughs> no people people got it but i uh, wanted to thank you nick for coming on to the socal summer swing out podcast and uh, if you don't already, please follow us on Instagram. That's where you primarily post stuff, as well as YouTube and Spotify, all the things. Thank you, Nick, so much for jumping on. Uh, just stick around. We'll chat a little bit after. But for everyone else, have a wonderful evening, morning, or whatnot. We'll see you on see the next one. Swing it out.